We're going through a series on biblical counseling, uh, and we, as Huey shared before, biblical counseling is not meant to be just for professionals. It is simply discipleship. And ultimately, it is a process of sanctification as we fight various sins. And today, we're going to be looking at temptations and how, tempt how temptations can lead to sin and how we can avoid falling into sin. Uh, just to have a full disclosure, most of this talk's outline comes from uh, materials from Institute of Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. Uh, they have some course material and I kind of borrowed parts of their outline. So when you think about temptations, what do you think about? Of course, we've all faced temptations before. What kind of temptations have you faced? I remember a time when I mistakenly received extra money in my paycheck because my scheduler made a mistake and thought I had worked more than I had. I was tempted to keep the money. Or how about I had a time, actually several times, uh, in restaurants where they made a mistake on the bill and did not charge for something that I had ordered. Those are temptations because it's so easy uh, because we don't really have to do anything. It was other people's mistakes, but still not honorable. How about temptations walking in the mall and passing by Victoria's Secret store? Or being alone with the unrestricted internet access. Or if you've had substance abuse problems, being tempted by alcohol. Or if trying to quit smoking, being exposed to cigarettes. Those are all temptations. There are also temptations particular to our culture, such as entertainment. Temptations of looking at your phone or being on the computer on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram? Uh, how about temptations related to our pursuit of leisure and comfort? When someone gets the latest car or goes on that vacation, a fancy vacation or a new 5,000 square foot home, temptations which comes from trying to keep up with the Joneses. The Bible gives us instructions and principles on how to fight temptation. And we'll look at a case study, probably one of the most tragic chapters in the Bible. And then we'll see if we can draw some principles on how to avoid falling into sin and how to fight temptation. So let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Everyone's familiar with this story. Verses 1 through 27. 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'll read it. The story of David and Bathsheba. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. 
And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the, all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there was valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubbesheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Debez? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent them to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sower devours now one and now another. Now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This is one of the most tragic chapters in the Bible. How did this happen? David is one of our heroes of the Bible. Remember, he fought against Goliath and defeated him. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a ruler and a shepherd of God's people. Yet even David could not avoid sin. He committed adultery, then murder. Most of 2 Samuel recounts the rise of David's kingship. David becomes a ruler and king, first over Judah and then over all of Israel. 
So in context, in chapter 10, Israel defeats the Syrians. And then in this chapter, they are fighting the Ammonites. The Ammonite war is a background of 2 Samuel chapter 10 through 12. And by the end of chapter 12, Israel, Israel also defeats the Ammonites. And in between comes this story that we just read. So the story of war is a frame around this story. Right? In the midst of a battle with Ammonites. What can we learn from this episode? So we can learn that temptation follows a pattern. It is a process that our fallen thoughts and minds go through. Sin does not come about randomly. James chapter 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So God does not tempt anyone. But we are tempted when we are lured and enticed by our own desires. Desires conceived gives birth to sin, and sin brings forth death. We're thankful to God for recording this particular incident and narrative in the Bible. We can look at some reasons why this episode is in the Bible and get some basic instructions from this narrative. Number one, Bible is honest about its heroes. We are all fallen. We all fall short. We all make mistakes. We all sin. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deed. Everyone's heart is deceitful and desperately sick. The Bible does not try to sugarcoat our heroes. It portrays sin as sin. doesn't minimize it, and conversely, it doesn't magnify it or glorify it. Number two, it serves us as a warning to us against sin and presumption. We're prone to think it can't happen to us. But it does, and it usually happens after our greatest accomplishments, when we are often are at highest point, after our greatest sermon and teachings, after closing a great deal, a business that is exponentially growing, after all your kids profess faith, get into good colleges, we are prone to pride and thinking that it can't happen to us. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Number three. It is instructive about how temptation and sin occur so that we might be able to resist and escape. Later on, we're going to try to draw some principles. But this episode is in there so that we can learn and be able to resist and escape. We can learn from David's mistakes. 
we can learn to resist temptation. And resisting and fighting temptations can actually increase our faith. Temptations can actually train us not to commit sin. Temptations can cause us to pray more. And temptation can also equip us to comfort others as we can guide others suffering from same temptations. Number four, it accurately portrays the ugliness and the consequences of sin. Doesn't the Bible portray adultery much more accurately and truthfully than Hollywood movies or shows? The Bible shows a fleetingness of pleasure, and it shows ongoing consequences of sin, which can lead to greater and greater sins and destroys people's lives. Hollywood movies tend to do the opposite. It highlights the pleasures of adultery while minimizing or ignoring its consequences. In our minds, we also do this. We tend to minimize the many consequences of sin, or we don't think about it. Number five, it offers hope to the worst of sinners who repent. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David after Nathan confronts him. It's a psalm of repentance. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. It's the cry, cry of David in repentance. There's another psalm, Psalm 32. It's a blessing of forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The story gives hope to the worst of sinners who repent. Number six, it reminds us that no earthly hero will suffice. We need a better king than David. Even David, a man after God's own heart, a chosen and anointed one, a ruler and shepherd of God's people, needed redemption and forgiveness. We all need a perfect anointed ruler and shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. So these are a brief overview of all the lessons we can learn from this narrative. Now let's look at and analyze David's sin more in detail. First, David did not fall suddenly. Rather than enjoying personal intimacy with one wife, David actually acquired many wives for his own power and pleasure before this episode. 2 Samuel 5.13, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. There was already a pattern of sin, a pursuit of sexual pleasure, a character flaw, a sinful habit, he was a king, so he also had the means to sin in this way. Often what stops us from acting on temptation and sin is lack of opportunity or means. So giving less opportunity or means and putting up guardrails against temptation and sin is one way to fight it. Prosperity and security put David off his guard. He had just defeated the Syrians. 
God was granting Israel victories after victories. He was secure and comfortable. A good proverb to remember is, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and says, who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Best often is not too much or not too little, but just enough. David had too much. David also drifted into ingratitude and did not value things of God. God gave him all things, yet he was not content or satisfied. 2 Samuel 12, 7-9, when Nathan confronts him, he says to David, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? David had almost everything, yet he still did evil in the Lord's sight. Next, David neglected his duties as king. 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. The first verse, he said, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Kings go out to battle. But David did not. All of Israel went out to battle. But King David did not. He neglected his duties as king. Sin follows a progression. First, sin is conceived in the heart. We read James 1, 13 through 15 before. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It is conceived in the heart first. Can't blame God when you are tempted. Temptation does not come from God. Sometimes it's easy to sin because there is opportunity and means. But is that external? We should make it harder to sin, avoid temptations, and remove opportunities and means. Sin comes from the heart. It's first conceived in the heart. Sin occurs not because of temptation from the outside, from, from, but from within our hearts. Mark 7, verse 14 to 15. And he called the people to him again and said to him, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. Then it's first conceived in the heart. Despite external temptations. So when you look at this story, 
what happens. David sees Bathsheba bathing. Is that an external temptation? He didn't. First, he didn't go out to battle. Second, he was walking on the roof. What was he doing on the roof? Looking? Sin was conceived in his heart before David even sees. Temptation often enters through the eye gate, through the eye. Genesis 3, 6. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The women saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delight to the eyes. <coughs> 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. 2 Peter 2.14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Temptation often enters through the eye. It can take many forms and applies to all different kinds of temptations. A shopaholic seeing a new pair of shoes. A glutton in front of a buffet. Covetous gazing at a new gadget belonging to a neighbor. When confronted with these temptations, we have a choice. Look away and look at Christ or gaze at it, flame covetous thoughts and discontentment. Then David moves from looking to entertaining lustful thoughts. He actually takes the initiative and inquires about her. David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Finding out the identity of the women should have stopped David. Uriah the Hittite was one of David's top men. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, he was in the list of David's top 30 men. Plus, Bathsheba was already married. And she was married to one of his loyal men. Yet he still gave in. His desire was strong. Temptation itself is not sin, but as soon as we give in to it, we allow it to be conceived. Right? Initially very small, but then as sin is fed, it grows and grows. And then it gives birth to its inevitable result, death. So it's a process that David went through. Now he has the sinful desires in the heart, and it ultimately results in the tragic acts of sin. So it goes from desires in the heart to actual action. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house. So number one, he sends for her, which involves others in his crime. Then he takes her. It's a very succinct one verse 
description of sin. David first breaks the tenth commandment of coveting, then breaks the seventh commandment of adultery, then the sixth commandment of murder. All initially from looking. Just as a side, what responsibility does Bathsheba bear? Perhaps lack of modesty, although David was on the roof, so she was probably within inside her house. Could she have refused David's advances? Probably. Uh, in Deuteronomy 22, it says, If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. Adultery was a capital offense throughout the entire ancient world. Right? To be convicted, though, the couple must be caught in the act, and they were both punished equally. However, if the circumstances suggest that the women had not consented, then only the man was punished. So Bathsheba could have refused. But there was an obvious power imbalance between King David and a subject's wife. Just something to think about. And finally, sin brings forth deadly consequences. There are many proverb warnings about sexual sin. Right? Proverbs 6, 32-33. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his grace will not be wiped away. Proverbs 7, verse 25-27. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her path. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way, of Sheol, way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. These are just some of the warnings in Proverbs about sexual sin. So here is David's progression, confronted with temptation of looking at a beautiful woman. He did not resist it, but allowed his desire for it to be conceived. Then asked about her, seeking her out. Then committed adultery. And like most sins, it did not stop there. Then fell into a spiral of sin in an attempt to cover what he had done, ultimately resulting in murder. So here are the consequences. First, there was a conception of a child. Normally, a birth of a child is a time for great joy. But in this case, it was seen as a tragedy. Because now, there is proof to David's sin. And then David attempts to cover up his sin, which compounds his sin. He was trying to get Uriah to lay with his wife so he can cover up his own sin. But Uriah was actually too honorable. In the ancient times, sexual intercourse was a source of ritual impurity. And so it was avoided during a military campaign. So Uriah was trying to be honorable. Uriah considered himself still on duty in contrast to David. And David's sin will affect him and many others for the rest of their lives. So then David had to murder Uriah 
make it seem like he was killed in a battle. After Uriah did not comply with David's plan, why did David not just confess? Plus, with the note, everyone else also now knows about David's dishonorable act. His reputation, his name, his status is diminished. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Sexual sin is not merely a private matter, which involves only two people. It will involve friends, kids, families, church. It can destroy almost all relationships. So, instructions for us. How can we avoid falling into sin? Number one, be on your guard. Don't think it can happen to you. It happened to David, who loved God. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. I read this before. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be on your guard. Number two, guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Guard our heart, your desires, your affections, what you're attracted to. Number three, guard your eyes. 2 Timothy 2.22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Guard your eyes, what you see, what you watch, what you look at, the entry point to temptation. Next, protect your thoughts, your heart, your eyes, and your your thoughts, your mind. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, Worthy of praise. Think about these things. Guard our thoughts. Neglect of the small things can lead to a big fall. Sin starts small, but it can grow fast. James 1, 15. Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Don't think that you can play with sin without expecting consequences. Sinful desire indulged will produce sinful acts. It should make it hard for you to sin, not easier. We need to take away opportunities and means to sin 
and put up guardrails in areas of temptation? What are some practical ways? For example, if you want to stop smoking, you get rid of all cigarettes, ashtrays, lighters, and have accountability. This is what we counsel when I tell patients how to stop smoking. How about other practical things? Pornography should have internet filters and have accountability software. Don't watch R-rated movies. These are all guardrails that you can put up. How about in areas of finance, comfort, and leisure? There's one blogger that I read gave some practical advice. Do not read glossy Good Life magazines. They're filled with temptations to buy or consume. Do not watch lifestyle TV programs that extol glamorous or extravagant living. Hit the mute button when the commercials appear on TV. Don't buy anything that's a bargain if you don't need it. Do not be tempted to have the latest in anything. This includes fashion, electronic gadgets, computers, and car. Right? Some practical advice. Next, nurture your own relationship with the Lord. Don't let your love for him grow cold. And don't rely on past successes and victories or growth experiences. Continue to nurture your relationship with the Lord. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. If you, are working, uh, if you are walking closely with God, you will not be vulnerable to sin. We have the example of Joseph. What did Joseph do when he was tempted? Genesis 39.9, when he was tempted by Potiphar. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wicked wickedness and sin against God. Joseph was able to resist temptation. Remember who you are. You're a child of God, adopted, redeemed with Jesus' blood. You are dead to sin. Romans 6.11, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Remember who you are and put to death sin. Next, pray. Pray that God will keep you from temptation. It's in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew six thirteen, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Luke twenty two forty, Jesus said, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Although God never directly tempts believers, he does sometimes lead them into situations that can test them. Next, do not be idle. Rather, be busy fulfilling God's calling on your life. 
Work hard at what God has called you to do. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are vulnerable to temptation when you are negligent of your duties. Be faithful to your vocation, your family, and your church. When we are idle, we tend to look about for something else to fulfill and occupy our time. This makes us more vulnerable to temptation. And in our culture, we have too much free time. We have uh, many more opportunities for temptation. Uh, next, if you are married, guard your marriage. Guard your marriage. Ephesians 5, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, up for her. Proverbs 5, 15 to 23. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breath fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden women and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his path. These are all some practical areas where we can um, grow in uh, to avoid and resist temptation. But... If you have started to give into temptation, it's not too late. If you have started to give into temptation and you recognize it, abort the sin before it's too late. Abort the sin. It means to deal quickly and completely with sin. Sin must be cut off and destroyed or it will give birth to a monster that is capable of destroying you. Romans 6.12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. At every stage, David could have chosen to turn from his sin. But he did not. Take radical action to kill your sin before it kills you. Matthew 5, 29-30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Take sin seriously. It is not a light matter. Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Also, seek accountability. If you have given into temptation, abort the sin, seek accountability. The longer you wait, the worse the consequences will become. 
But finally, if you have given into temptation and you have sinned, and even then, God offers hope and grace to fallen sinners, like David. Significance of David's fall goes beyond merely warning us about temptation. David, despite all of his excellent qualities, was not able to fulfill God's covenant. David's failure points us to someone greater. Jesus is a son of David who never sinned or failed. And Jesus is ultimately the one who can help us, who can help us when we are tempted. Hebrews 2.18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And Jesus forgives who confesses and repents of their sins. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is hope. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all given into temptation. We've all failed. But we must fight and resist temptation. And we will grow. I wanted to end with Psalm 32. So everybody can turn to Psalm 32. Because it is a psalm of forgiveness. Even as we fight and resist sin and temptation, we must also remember the forgiveness granted by a gracious God, forgiveness granted to David and to us. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, even as we studied a sad chapter in the Bible of looking at David's sin, Lord, you give us hope. 
And as we studied David's sin and the temptation and the resulting sin and even resulting consequences of sin, Lord, help us to learn from it. Help us to learn to take sin seriously. Help us to learn how to fight temptation, how to resist it, how to avoid it. Lord, that we may have our affection, our desires solely on you, Lord. For we want to honor you. We want to love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. And when we fail, Lord, that we may be quick to repent. We may be quick to abort the sin and pursue righteousness again and reconcile our relationship with you. For you, you give us unlimited forgiveness in Christ. And you give us grace and hope. And also you give us, in your spirit, power to fight sin and to continue in our growth, to continue to be sanctified. For that is our desire, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time and for your grace upon us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.